This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Let's put the spotlight on several headlines coming out of around the region. Yeah, lots happening in the region in the past week. In Malaysia, for instance, Prime Minister Ismail Sabri faces criticism over weaknesses in how they are handling the floods. Mm. Over in the Philippines, the death toll from the strongest typhoon to hit the country this year continues to rise as areas remain cut off from help. Mm. And of course, in Thailand, well, it has reinstated mandatory COVID-19 quarantines over Omicron concerns. Where is this expected to take the region? Uh, Joining us today, as usual, to fill us in on the various headlines, Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Bharti. Good morning, Bharti. Now, let's talk about uh, those floods in Malaysia. They have been making headlines, and three days after that torrential rain manifested those floods in eight Malaysian states, no less. At least eight people have died. Over 61,000 have been displaced. Some victims still stranded with no food or electricity. Let's discuss a few things here. Why were some Malaysians stepping up to criticize the authorities? Uh, Of course, they've talked about a lack of warning, poor rescue efforts. Are these warranted? Why weren't they prepared? Uh, Could this also cause a surge in COVID-19 cases? Well, you know, it's all, what you pointed out, Balsi, is all really the big issues here. Uh, it's kind of like a Katrina moment for the Malaysian government, you know. Mm. Uh, this is some, it evokes the kind of responses that the Bush administration in 2005, when the, when the typhoon hurricane hit um, uh, the U.S., and there was a complete lack of preparedness for this. Uh, people are wondering why floods, the floodwaters uh, rose so quickly. And this is just outside the capital of Kuala Lumpur. And the other problem is that uh, almost 80% of this area, which is called Taman Sri Muda in the city of Shalam, which neighbors Kuala Lumpur, uh, are Malays, and uh, the government's lack of preparedness. People were, you know, were left three days sitting on their roofs just to stay away, to keep away from the floods. And for to a lot of Malaysians, this is completely unacceptable. And how the government has uh, responded to this, the slow response actually, has created a lot of anger. Actually. And this comes immediately, I mean, at a time when people are still reeling from the, from the, you know, from the effects of the, of the lockdown of the COVID-19 uh, crisis. And this is going to be really telling in the weeks to come because um, people are facing really tough times already. And this is, this is just going to bring more grief and heartache to everyone else. You know? So I think the government is going to have a lot of questions to answer. Mm-hmm. Leslie, uh, and, and do pardon my ignorance for this I know you, you said that this is just outside uh, You're in Kuala Lumpur, of course uh, Are you guys in KL affected? And if you're not uh, affected directly by the flood uh, That emotion, do they feel the same way Even though they're not affected? Well, you know, I think uh, if you go down uh, If you go to Twitter sphere in Malaysia The, the anger is very powerful right, right. You know, and you know the way civil society has responded. Actually, civil society NGOs, you know, they've responded so much quicker than uh, so much more quickly than than the government has responded. You know, this we've seen like you know four days before the authorities came in to help. So really, in in the anger here isn't just. 
people who are directly impacted, but uh-huh. also ordinary Malaysians, you know, who are seeing this. And there is, I mean, I can tell you there is a lot of anger. And but the 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 positive thing from all of this is how Malaysians have actually come out to help and to help and basically try and remedy the situation. Mm. That I think is very, very, is very encouraging. Actually, mm. mm-hmm. human human element there. Mm. I think, especially in the absence of some leadership from government, yeah. Yeah. this really, exactly. really helps. Yeah. And speaking of positive, it was pretty positive for Sarawak's Gamungan Party Sarawak GPS. Uh, they scored a big victory at the elections on Saturday and could easily determine the next government. Uh, should there be no conclusive winner in the next GE? Talk to us about the significance of this win for GPS. Why are people in support of them? And how good are they really for Sarawak and Sarawakians? You know, I think Sarawakians have shown that there's very little, very little support, very little you know, political affiliations to parties from the peninsula. And this clearly showed their propensity to want to have Basically, some parties, local parties, uh, state state level parties, to run the government. So I think there is general rejection actually for peninsula-based parties that or parties that dominate uh, politics in peninsular Malaysia to be able to deliver for ordinary Sarawakians. And Sarawakians basically have rejected them. And this clearly also, like you pointed out, but is going to be very very critical in the in the coming general elections. Because, I mean, Sarawak and Sabah, their neighboring states, they, they, they account for almost a third of the seats, the parliamentary seats in the lower house in Malaysia. So whoever is in government there will determine, um, I mean, who will, you know, who will control Malaysia as a whole in the country. So clearly very important and this shows the growing importance of state-based parties, especially for in the states of Sabah and Sarawak. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Uh, Leslie, could you give us an update on the situation in the Philippines, uh, Super Typhoon Odette tearing through the central and southern part of that area? I mean, what's the situation like? And surely this fuels even more talk about global warming because quite a number of typhoons this year. I know. I mean, you know, we've got, I mean, it's been really devastating for the Philippines. Mm. You know, the storm has, and this year, surpassed the death toll alone is 300 and they think that humanitarian agencies believe that this, the scale of the destruction remains unknown and they believe that we're going to see a lot more deaths at least 50 515 people are in mm-hmm. 56 people are still missing you know yeah. so more deaths are going to come and you're right this is kind of human induced you know and you know we, let's I mean, the thing is that we've seen the super tycoon Haiyan, known locally as Yolanda, mm. which hit uh, Philippines in November 13. There was a stronger storm, you know, killing like 6,000 6, people. Yeah. So I think that a lot of this is human-induced climate, clarity, uh, climate crisis, making typhoons, hurricanes, cyclones more intense. You know? And and sad thing is that Philippines, Philippines has, is one of the most uh, climate-vulnerable nations, actually, at this point. So... 
not a good time and really tough for the people down there. Mm, I'm sure those discussions on how to tackle climate change, especially in terms of how it affects third world nations and developing countries, will continue. And we'll be watching those rescue efforts in the Philippines as well. Another country in the region making headlines, of course, is Thailand. And this is related to the spread of Omicron. It's halted its quarantine-free entry program after less than two months, citing, of course, those concerns about perhaps arriving tourists bringing Omicron into the country. How much of an impact will this suspension have on the tourism sector? We have to consider that it is a key driver, a key industry and economic driver for Thailand. Well, you know, it clearly is a setback, Bati. And, you know, the sudden decision which came into effect on Wednesday will last till at least January 4th. Uh, they're going to shut the doors down to quarantine reach out Thailand pass applicants. And, you know, a number of people actually have already applied for this. So we're going to see how the Thai government deals with this. What is, the, what is the impact on tourism? Clearly, there's going to be a setback. The Thai economy is really, you know, is shrank by 6.1% in uh, 2020 and expected to only grow by 1.2% this year. You know, so, and I think this is going to be really tough for, it's a huge setback, but uh, let's hope that this, that this uh, Omricon uh, wave now that, that, that is hitting the region in a lot of countries will be temporary, won't be as devastating as the lockdown has happened over the last two years. All right, uh, we appreciate your time. We've been speaking with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Leslie, you take care and stay safe, yeah? Thank you, man. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.